This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network. Learn more at trine.edu. Hello, I'm James Tu, Assistant Vice President for Content and Communications at Trine University, and this is the Education One Podcast. In this podcast, you'll learn more about Education One, Trine University's charter school authorizer, as well as the different charter schools Education One authorizes and the charter school environment as a whole. Joining me today is Lindsay Omlor, Director of Charter Schools for Education One. Thank you for joining me today, Lindsay. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. To start, there may be listeners who are confused as to exactly what a charter school is. Can you describe for those listeners um, what a charter school is and how it's similar or different to what they may think of like with a traditional public school? Yes, absolutely. So first and foremost, it's important to understand that a charter school is in fact a public school and they are operated by a school board. Um, although one, those would be two similarities. One difference is that that school board is not um, elected, they're appointed officials. So they're all volunteer members. And a charter school does receive state and federal funding like a traditional public school, although the pots of money that they pull from look a little different. For example, a traditional public school would receive county tax dollars, whereas charter schools do not qualify for county tax dollars. So funding does look a little bit different in charter schools. And I think the biggest difference would be that charter schools get to operate autonomously outside of a district. So traditional public schools are typically a part of a district. Um, meaning that a district office or a superintendent's office make a large number of decisions around schedule, calendar, curriculum, course offerings, etc. In a charter school, those decisions are made within the confines of that school. So the school board and specifically the school leader and educators working in that school are the ones that actually get to make the decisions around what course offerings might be best for their unique population of students what the calendar should look like for their specific school, what curriculum they're going to choose to um, implement in their building. So the autonomy for educators and for the school is one thing that really sets them apart. Why did Trine University originally decide to form Education One? Yeah, that's a great question. So in 2012, in the state of Indiana, legislation was passed that allowed um, four-year institutions to authorize charter schools. And so Trine decided at that point that it was a good idea to jump into the charter school world. And I think it really goes back to Trine in general, promoting innovation. And we know by definition, charter schools are in fact innovative in their approach to education. So when that first legislation was passed in 2012 for universities to begin authorizing, Trine jumped on the opportunity and um, was excited because we started authorizing right away, a school with a really innovative model. I think the other part of that is that um, as a university authorizer, we are really unique in this space and we have a lot of natural resources at our fingertips that can really benefit the K-12 education realm. And so Trine Education One specifically have done a really great job of bringing university resources such as student groups and the number of resources that we have through philanthropic efforts and students wanting to volunteer their time and energy or do coat and hat drives right? And partnering those appropriately with our K-12 schools. 
And I know there's opportunities too, like our charter schools uh, take part in the innovation challenge every year. Um, and maybe, and there's, I know there's other opportunities for those uh, students to come to campus. Maybe you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, just a few months ago, we had over 1,200 K through eight students from our charter schools here on campus, and they got to participate in STEM camp. Um, so that was really exciting. And actually, our Trine students were the camp counselors for that event. Um, and so it's just, it it was a nice partnership between robotics and alumni and trying students as well as our charter school students to really kind of come together and be able to benefit in that shared space. Um, we also do things with student internship possibilities and um, student placements for student teaching. Um, so our trying students are getting to be embedded into our charter schools across the state and participate in learning experiences, which has been really awesome. And I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we have some alumni who are even teaching in the Education One charter schools, correct? Yeah, we do, absolutely. And that's been really fun to see um, our students matriculate from Trine into our K-12 schools across the state and find you know, a place that feels like a really good fit for them to be in their education careers. So how many charter schools does Education One currently authorize? So we currently authorize 15 schools statewide. Um, that includes schools in Bedford, Gary, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, South Bend, Muncie, and then we also have two statewide virtual schools. So we are our footprint across the state is pretty vast. Although we are continuing to grow, we anticipate opening four new schools next year um, already. So we're pretty excited about that. Besides having Education One as their authorizer, what do these schools have in common? I would say the biggest thing is that they are all primarily mission focused. Um, they are truly committed to meeting the needs of the kids that they serve and the communities in which they're located. And, you know, they're just, they employ incredibly passionate people, uh, licensed teachers and staff who are just really uh, excited to be able to work with kids and partner with our university in a way that they know best serve, meets the need or serves that community. Beyond that, I think they're all vastly different. Um, our portfolio of schools is just incredibly unique, varying in size, school model, um, and even location. For example, we have a nature-based Montessori school located on the north side of Indianapolis, and that school happens to be um, housed on a Boy Scout campus. So they actually have 22 acres within the city of, of Indianapolis, which is just really unique in itself, but 22 acres of land, including an, an entire creek that runs through their campus. And because they're a nature-based Montessori school, oftentimes you'll go in the afternoon and see students literally in the creek learning and participating in their coursework. It's really cool, but absolutely very unique for the charter school space. And I know, like, even in contrast to that, and um, there's one of the schools, as I recall, and I, I'll share this. I'm a, I remember living in Noble County, and my kids were in East Noble Schools, and the um, angst that happened when Layado Elementary School was closed by that district. And I know one, uh, is it LCIS, I think, is the school that's that type of thing where the community really banded together to keep their community school open. Yeah, Lawrence County Independent School. So that's located down in southern Indiana, right outside of Bedford. And it's exactly what you said, James. So the school district locally was consolidating um, and bringing all of their students more towards city center in Bedford. And for many of those families, just because 
because of the geographic location of where they live. Um, you know, it's very rural and also very hilly. In many instances, it made travel very difficult for those families to get to their new assigned school. And so the community really did. They banded together and they decided to um, interview authorizers across the state. Ultimately, they chose to apply to Education One. And uh, now they have a school back in one of their old buildings that the district had decided to consolidate. And it's been really thriving and doing great things for kids down there. So we've been excited about that. You talked about, you know, that they decided to apply. What kind of process did these schools go through to get authorization? Yeah, that's a great question and one I think most folks don't know much about until they're trying to dive into it. But in order to become a charter school, applicants go through a multi-step application process that includes submitting an application, which is a written application. Um, these are hundreds and hundreds of pages, so it's not you know something just small that that would take you know, very little time, but it's something very thorough that requires lots and lots of time and deliberation. They also go through multiple in-person interviews. They have to complete a public hearing by law, which means they're actually presenting their application, their school idea to the community and getting feedback from the community, whether positive or negative. And then finally, our Education One board votes on whether or not they will approve their proposed school. That whole process takes roughly 12 to 18 months. So um, most folks don't recognize how much time and energy really goes in on the front end to putting together a charter school application and then actually getting it approved. And then once they're authorized, something that I don't think people realize is that um, once authorized, they're then required to complete another phase of the process before they open their school. So getting authorization is step one, um, but then step two would be completing your pre-opening process. And that takes roughly nine months. So you don't actually open your school until you've gone through the entire application process as well as the pre-opening process. Now, how... Then once the school is open, do you ensure that they're they're doing what they were intended to do? How do you evaluate the results that they have? Yeah, great question. So each school has a performance framework, and in particular, our performance framework measures four key areas. Three are required by law, and then one we add for just good measure. So first and foremost, it measures academic performance in a variety of ways. It measures financial performance of the school it measures the organizational performance, so thinking about things like board leadership and school leadership specifically. And then it also measures um, school satisfaction. So we actually measure student, staff, and family satisfaction um, in all of our schools. And because of the laws around accountability for charter schools, it's really high stakes, and most folks don't realize that, but charter schools receive annual performance reviews. So every single year, um, we are going through and conducting an annual review for all of our schools, which become public. And then at the end of that year, all of those roll up at, till, at the end of their charter term, I should say, all of those annual reviews roll up into a final rating for their charter term, which is what is utilized then for them to go through the renewal process and for our board to determine whether or not they get their charter or their contract renewed. So accountability is super high stakes for charter schools in terms of the evaluation process and how we are measuring our schools on a consistent basis. And when you talk about measuring performance, then are they taking iLearn like a, a regular public school student would, or are there other instruments that you use or other measures? 
Absolutely both um, is the answer. So yes, they take iLearn, they take iRead. Um, we require them as a part of their performance framework to conduct ongoing benchmark assessments. So typically they're also testing their students beginning, middle, and end of year using some sort of an internal test. Most of our schools utilize NWEA, but that's not a requirement. Um, they just have to use some sort of an internal metric for benchmark testing. Um, and then we're measuring things like instruction. So we actually go into our schools at a maximum once a month at a minimum once per quarter. We're in all of our schools in every core content classroom and actually looking at instruction and what that looks like according to their performance framework and rating them. So um, they're getting very frequent feedback from our team in regards to overall performance and um, what evaluation actually means and looks like. Do you have any stories you can share about the impact Education One has on its students or communities or just anything you'd like to share about that? Any success stories? Yeah, absolutely. I think just the biggest impact that Education One charter schools are having across the state and just charter schools in general is that really these schools are giving families across the state a choice. And I think we often forget me specifically, we often forget how much we take choice for granted. Whether or not we have choice is the first question, but then the quality of our choices becomes the second part to that. So for example, my personal experience prior to having children, I lived in a district that didn't necessarily have the best reputation for their traditional public schools. And so, um, you know, it wasn't something I was necessarily thinking about. But then when I had kids and had kids that started to get closer and closer to school age, I realized pretty quickly that school was important to me and I needed to figure out where I was going to be sending my children to school. And so, you know, I had a few options. I had choices, right? My choices based on, you know, my personal circumstances were to go to that traditional district that I was already living in, um, which is where my kids would have been assigned based on, you know, where we lived to go to a local private school that's not too far from my house or to move to a different district that was um, known for higher performance. So I had pretty uh, vast options, right, in terms of school choice. And all of those felt like high quality options for me to really be able to decide what's actually best for my family. And ultimately, I decided to move, right, to a higher performing school district. What we realize is that many of the families that we serve in our charter schools don't necessarily have those same choices, right? So they don't necessarily have as many choices or uh, as many quality choices as what I personally had. And so I think one of the ways that Education One schools are impacting this space across the state is by ensuring that families have really high quality choice options when they are thinking about where to send their kids to school. We also have um, almost 20% of our population of students in our schools are special needs students. So we have a lot of families with students who have unique needs, who have not necessarily felt like they've been served well in their previous schools. And so enrolling in our Education One schools, they feel like their needs are being met. And that's really, um, really important for those families. So I would say, you know, the impact has been twofold. It's been in making sure that we can meet unique special populations of students and their, their needs, um, as well as making sure that all families have choice, high quality choice options, regardless of, you know, any barriers that might exist for them. Recently, you were part of a panel at a national conference where you shared about Education One's model for measuring student success. Can you describe that model and share what makes it unique? Sure. So we have really been, over the last few years, I would say, working hard in our office to talk about equity and to define what does it mean to be equitable in education. And we thought we knew, 
Uh, I think when we started this work years ago, we all thought we had a common understanding of what equity in education really meant. What we've realized in the authorizing space as we are measuring and evaluating our schools and holding them accountable to their performance framework is that the metrics in their performance framework have not always been equitable. And so our focus has been on how do we reassess or how do we ensure we're assessing our schools in a way that is in fact equitable. We've decided to approach that through multiple measures, which just means that their performance framework no longer is, you know, you by doing X, you meet standard, right? Now we've said you can do X, you can show us Y, or you can show us Z in order to meet standard. So there are multiple ways to show that you are in fact meeting standard. And we know that that is a more equitable way for us to um, measure the progress that our students in our charter schools are making. So, um, yeah, I would imagine because students learn differently that, you know, them having multiple options to show that they've, uh, that they've mastered a certain skill would, uh, would work a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it speaks Going back to one of your earlier questions, it speaks to the uniqueness of our portfolio, right? So I mentioned already that our charter schools are vastly different. Besides being staffed with just really passionate, mission-focused people, they're vastly different in the populations that they're serving, the locations where they're serving students, and the models that they're using. And so I think by you know looking at accountability from a multiple measures perspective, we're really speaking to that, right? We're saying, we see you, we know that you're doing this in a very unique way, um, and so it wouldn't make sense for us to measure how your students are performing in the same way that we're measuring students in one of our schools that happens to be 100% students with autism, right? Or in the same way that we're measuring one of our schools that's located in Gary and deals with lots, 100% free and reduced lunch students, right? Lots of poverty and minority students um, that are struggling with things that are very different than our school in Bedford that we already spoke to earlier. So I think um, by looking at accountability from this equitable lens by really focusing on how we're taking a multiple measures approach. It's allowing us to really just see our schools for who they are and the wonderful work that they are doing and still, you know, ensure that students are making progress in an adequate way. How is the number of charter schools trending nationally? Uh, That's a great question. So across just the state, first and foremost, we're seeing consistent trends of enrollment increases or holding steady over time. We also nationally are seeing 34 out of 41 states. So this is based on 2021 data, but post-pandemic, we're seeing 34 out of 41 states that have seen an increase in enrollment post-pandemic. We know during the pandemic nationally, we saw a massive influx of students enrolling in charter schools. Um, We saw a decline in traditional public schools. So we weren't sure if that was a trend that we would see hold or not, but we are seeing consistently that that trend is holding. Um, I think what we know is that families are excited to have choice options and have high quality choice options, whether that's just in the state of Indiana Indiana or across the nation. What types of developments and innovations are you seeing in charter schools? You know, James, I never like to define what um, innovation looks like in charter schools because I, I feel like the second that I do that, the second that I define what innovation is or what it means, we're putting it in a box and it's no longer innovative, right? Um, but I would like to say that the sky is genuinely the limit. I, we receive consistent proposals for new charter schools that have models and ideas that they've put in their application that I literally could never have dreamed up 
You know, everyone's known about virtual education for a long time. Even pre-pandemic, virtual schools were very much a thing, um, both in Indiana and nationally. And yet we now operate two virtual schools across the state of Indiana that are both synchronous model schools, which means learning happens in real time, which is very innovative in the virtual school space. So I think even when we're thinking about, you know, innovation and we're talking about what kinds of innovative things we're seeing across the charter school space, there's truly no way to really capture all of what we're seeing. But I would say we see lots of things around project-based learning, around STEM education. Um, We have schools, like I said, that are unique schools specific to one population of students, like our autism-focused school. They're doing so much to integrate behavior therapy and academics into one space, which is vastly innovative in this space. Um, We have our nature-based Montessori school, again, one of very few schools of that model in the charter school space across the country. We have rural model schools, we have urban schools, just so many schools that are really taking a unique approach to this work, and I cannot even imagine what they're going to dream up next. So what are Education One's future plans? Where does it go from here? I think we're hoping just to continue to grow over time. So I mentioned earlier that we are already slated to open four new schools next year. um, And we're really excited about that, but continued growth. And then we want to continue pushing the envelope and encouraging our schools and communities where our schools are located to do that as well. So um, continuing to support our schools in really unique and authentic ways that help benefit them, continuing to push our schools to, um, you know, hit new instructional targets that they didn't necessarily, haven't necessarily hit before, or continue to push students um, in really innovative and unique ways in the classroom and beyond. And then continue just to help them infuse themselves in their local communities and um, integrate partnerships in their communities that we know can be vastly beneficial for not just the school, but the community as well. Well, once again, I'd like to thank Lindsay Amler, Director of Charter Schools for Education One, for joining me today. Thanks so much. Tune in to our next episode to hear more about Education One and its charter schools. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network. Learn more at trine.edu.